0: With a career covering nearly two decades, Mining International partners with new and junior miners and larger predominant players in the market. With no further ado, here is your
1: host, Rob Tyson. Hi mining community, welcome back to another episode of the Dig Deep, the Mining podcast. And today's guest is Marcus Brewster. Um, I'm sure many of you out there will know Marcus. Um, He's an experienced and respected general manager who's worked across the world in many countries, including South America, Africa, um, and has worked for companies like Gold, Goldfields, and Endeavour Mining. Um, Marcus has got 23 years of open pit and underground experience and has uh, demonstrated expertise in successfully turning uh, mining projects around um, and certainly has been managing challenging mining operations uh, in his career. Um, I thought it'd be good to get Marcus on the podcast, um, he's also been recommended by a few people um, that uh, listen to this podcast, um, plus I wanted to get his thoughts and knowledge around managing a successful mine operation. Um, so that's enough for me, I want to um, introduce our main guest, so I'd like to welcome Marcus. How you doing Marcus. Very
2: well, thanks, Rob. Thanks for the invite.
1: Yeah, appreciate you, uh, appreciate you uh, agreeing to come on and do this podcast. I know a few people uh, recommended you, so um, obviously I'll, I know you're going to give uh, great value to, uh, to the audience. Um, so appreciate if you can just, um, the people that don't know you, if you can um, just give a, 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 a brief background of your career, uh, probably from when you graduated to uh, where you are today
2: right um got my cv in front of me so okay. I'll, I'll shoot <laughs> so, um, so you can remember yeah exactly um so i'm I'm. I'm educated as a geologist and, and a mining engineer uh, from campbell school of mines so a lot of you may know that um and i started my my career actually working for Pilkington glass initially because um, there weren't very many jobs in the the mining industry. So I lived in Ormskirk in, in for a while, but then uh, opportunity came up in South Africa with Goldfields of South Africa as it was then, uh, and which soon moved to Goldfields Limited after the, the merger of Genkor. Uh, so I started um, with, with Goldfields Training Services as a learner official, um, did various um, stints on on uh, deep-level um, South African underground mines like Dielkral and Lyudurin, um, and then had a chance to, to go to Namibia as well. Um, and that was basically all within this, um, year long Goldfields training services period. So I did end up, um, uh, briefly with a combat mine with, with golf fields, uh, and that shut down. So I came back to South Africa, worked at Lebanon, um, which was part of the, um, complex yeah, uh, and then they looked started looking for volunteers to to go to Tarkwa Gold Mine in Ghana, which which um, goldfields had bought as the underground operation with a view to develop a, as a as a large open pit. So I stuck my hand up, and uh, that was my first real experience as an expat, um, because being a, a geologist uh, with goldfields in South Africa, you you basically worked as a South African essentially. So yeah moved to, to Tarqua uh, and basically spent most of the the rest of the sort of next 10 years sort of um, w- working for goldfields in various capacities as uh, rising up through the ranks, to, um, you know, as a mine geologist, exploration also, um, and then into the management positions of, uh, as goldfields would call it, mineral resources manager at both Demang uh, and Tarqua. Um, and as this um, sort of podcast is really more about my experience as a general manager, I'll focus a bit more on that. So my first my first opportunity to cut my teeth as a GM was with Troy Resources in Brazil. Um, a yeah. mine called Andorinhas um, in Pará, in the south of Pará. Um, I spent over two years there. I have to say, in hindsight, it's probably one of the better companies I've worked for um, at that time. Troy was a very agile and and dynamic company headed by Paul Benson. Um, And it was, it was a very enjoyable time and a very good environment to to learn um, how to be a GM, which in in, in what is quite a complicated uh, environment. Um, uh, But also it's quite a small operation as well It's only about 40,000 ounces a year, but very, very profitable at the start. And um, as I said, very enjoyable. I think the key, issue there was obviously the security problems that Brazil was encountering at the time with yeah. gold thefts, things like that. So, but it was a good experience. Then I was persuaded to go back to, to goldfields in Ghana at the mine miners GM. Um, that mine was on the verge of closure, um, or, or care and maintenance. And we managed to turn that operation around. And I'm sure we'll discuss that a little bit more later on. Yeah. Um, but we, we really sort of, turned it around uh, and as, as is important in, in all turnaround projects is stabilizing the operation and then looking to what happens next. And um, we put some life back into um, the demand extension project um, and looked at expanding the main pit there. And now I think it's, it's, it's gold, one of Goldfield's major uh, development projects and doing very well again. So um, I'm actually very proud to have been involved in that project and uh I've got a big soft spot for Demang, um, and I think I always will have. Um, So after that, um, I tried my my luck in uh, Francophone uh, Africa, and I joined Nordgold as GM of Visa, and what would become then Bully as well, which was a new operation they were bringing online, um, part of the same complex. And I basically resurrected the team with a former... Former boss of mine, Lo Smith, who was my chief geologist at Tarqua, a GM at Demang. Uh, and then uh, he persuaded me to come across to Norgold, which was a very enjoyable couple of years there as well. Um, and then I took some time off. Um, as, as, as we all know, being expats, um, th- th- this, it can put a big strain on the family. So, um I took some time off to spend with the family, uh, and then I joined Endeavour Mining. Jeremy Langford, who's the COO yeah. of Endeavour at the time, um, enticed me across, and uh, was was very attracted by Endeavour's um, operating style and 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 um, innovative approach to doing things. And uh, I, I joined as general manager of the Hyundai Gold operation, which was their new flag o- flagship operation in Burkina Faso. Um, and uh, basically, I left uh, I left Endeavour uh, last November, essentially, and I've been enjoying a bit more time with my, my family and uh, starting to look forward to get back into it once um, we can put this uh, horrible virus behind
1: <laughs> yeah. us. Yeah, certainly. So, yeah, it seems like you've had a sort of colourful career. Uh, one point I've, I've made note of is um, when you graduated, um, obviously you get quite a few graduates listening to this podcast, um, how did you feel studying uh, I think it was a geology, uh, geology degree how did you feel when you left and then you worked for Pilkinson Glass and obviously not in the mining industry um, did you think you ever get into the mining industry was it a timing thing um, yeah be interested to hear your thoughts
2: uh, it's a good question I mean when I was studying, it was all about finishing the degree, and the, 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 the degree I was doing at the time was the MSC in Mining Geology at Campbell. And so, and it was all focused on, on passing that and getting it. Uh, and then when we graduated, um, there were there were no jobs. The gold price was pretty low. Yeah. Um, so you know, I I, I I viewed it as a as a holding position, and I was lucky to get the job with with Pilkington. I initially applied for a what they call a material scientist that's so looking at the raw materials that go into making glass. So it was loosely geology, yeah. but they actually employed someone who's actually qualified in that discipline, but they liked me and my, um, my energy, I think, and then and, and offered me another job. So, um, mm. which was sort of working on, on the, on the furnaces and stuff. So yeah. I always viewed it as a, as a temporary, um, uh, temporary sort of uh, job. Uh, but, yeah there were times I was a little worried and and there were times that I actually was thinking of offering my services for free for a couple of years just to get yeah. just to get experience.
1: Yeah. So how long were, you, were how long were you with Pilkington Glass and what did you do during that time to then eventually get into the mining industry? Cuz I imagine some especially some people now some graduates either they're studying at the moment or have already graduated and they could be in this position and it, And with what's happening now with this uh, coronavirus, it's going to delay a lot of things, and people are going to be in this position. So I just wonder what your experiences and what you actually went through during that time when you were at Pilkington Glass and how you eventually did get into the industry um, What did you do during during that time?
2: Well, I mean, I was only with them for about seven months, I think. Okay. Um, and I actually ended up going to South Africa on a new furnace commissioning in Springs and in, in, on, on to the east of Joburg. Um, and, and luckily uh, a few of my friends from, from the, my um, MSC course had got onto the Goldfields graduate program. And I was, I was basically there and they told me come in and, and have a chat because um, there's a few positions available. So I took some, a few days of leave at the end of the commissioning and, and, and had an interview with with, with Goldfields and, that's how it started so yeah. i think i think the message there is that um you know Camborne, there's a lot of graduates particularly Camborne, um you know graduates around the world to to use that network uh, yeah. either people studied with or or, or people in the industry I, I i've always made an effort to um try and accommodate students or do, either doing their projects or vacation work or even their first jobs and you know, I've I've maintained a very good um, network of, of people that I had the students at Demang, for example, who I found jobs for them with Nordgold and then they, I brought them across to to Endeavour with me. So yeah. um, it's maintaining those um, those connections and those links, and um, keep keep talking to the old boys and the student, uh, the old students, and then yeah, yeah. uh, things things come up, you know.
1: Yeah, and I suppose because you were in that situation you see that as beneficial in helping those people because you were in that position where you, did, you were out of the industry for a little while, um, and then you eventually got back in. So I suppose you're just repeating what you did back then, but obviously you were younger, speaking to the older people. Now you're the older person, speaking to the younger people and, and making, that, making those relationships and trying to help graduates if they are, if obviously they approach you.
2: Yeah, no, 100%. That's exactly yeah. It's exactly how it
1: works, yeah. yeah. Okay, I want to obviously fast forward to sort of more recent times. Um, obviously, you're a successful general manager. Um, what are the main attributes needed to be a uh, successful GM from your, uh, from your perspective?
2: Listen, everyone's different, but I, mean, I, I think the things that have made me successful or, or, or made my work easier, let me put it that way, is is um i I think i mean not in any order either but i I think you you need to be technically astute obviously you you need to know what's going on so i'm a geologist and a mining engineer which gives me a bit of a broader vision i'm even looking now at um expanding it to to do uh, another degree in in processing so so no one can pull the wool over my eyes yeah um but I think you need to be able to work independently and be able to make decisions, not necessarily with with, with a lot of support. A lot of these operations are remote. Um, communications may not be particularly good, and you may need to make decisions there and there on the ground uh, without sort of referring to any sort of approval mechanism. Um, I think leading by example is, is a critical one. I, I don't mean just, um, uh, you know, being seen around the mine but also the safety leadership um getting out there getting amongst the team i used to do this thing called the the gmho the hod walkabout and and those guys who've who've worked with me before will, will wince in pain when i say that but we used to get out as a as a management team pick a pick an area once a month and then we used to go there and um Walk around looking, looking at safety issues, but productivity improvement opportunities. Talk to the teams on the ground, um, and and really get ourselves visible. Visible leadership. Um, some other companies call it as well. So, I, I think you need to be able to get out there. You know, I've, I've I used to go and visit the pit quite regularly. I, you introduce yourself to the ore spotters. Um, they've never met the GM before. Yeah. Um, they're, they're shocked to, to see the GM in the pit, and it makes a makes a big impact to to the team's morale and, and um, sort of uh, sort of um, confidence that they see the GM getting involved, helping them put out tapes and moving tapes and asking them questions. So um, I think you need an engaging and, and humble management style, and you know I think one of the best GMs I've ever worked for. Um, had a good balance between discipline and approachability and I think that's what defined him as, as a GM and I, I've always remembered that um, uh, and I've always tried to, to to follow his example uh, whenever I lead um, I'm also a big believer in, in action uh, and that's something I say to every one of on my teams that, um, that I work with if, if we agree something in a meeting let's do it let's do it quickly and let's do it if it doesn't work We'll see what didn't work, and we'll try something different. We'll try it again. But let's ha- let's have some action, and I think I think that's that's quite critical in, in the mining environment. Um, and, uh, you yeah, know, I'll say it again because it, it's very critical to me. I, you, you've got to demonstrate safety leadership. I'm a big believer in, in, in putting safety first, and I have no problems in stopping the operation or parts of the operation if, if it's unsafe. I'd rather... I'd rather explain to my leadership, um, you know, the COO above me, why I've stopped the operation than why we've had a serious accident or even worse, a fatality. I'd, I'd much rather be in that position. So um, so it's, 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 it's all about visible leadership, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, certainly. Um, obviously, you've mentioned that a few times, and I suppose anyone listening that wants to be a general manager, um, you mentioned obviously – and you mentioned it a few times, about vi- the visibility. Do you think a lot of general managers in the industry are not as visible maybe as yourself? Um, or do, generally speaking, a lot of general managers do make themselves visible? Because it seems it does have an impact on morale, maybe pro- producti- productivity. Um, do you think more GMs need to get out there more, or do you think quite a lot of GMs that you know and come across are out being visible.
2: I mean, t- to give you an example of of, of the um, four GMs at Endeavour when I was there, or the four mines, um, soon to be more, obviously with, with them joining, uh, merging with Samapho. But yeah. um, I think I think the three three free out of the four were, were very um, visible and very dynamic. Um, and you know, like I said, not everyone's the same, and not every operation's the same. It has different re- requirements, so. Yeah. Um I think I think general managers, I mean I've certainly seen general managers change considerably since when I was a a young geologist at the face, as it were. You know, I mean especially in South Africa where you have the old school South African you know, the yes uh minier mentality. Yeah. Um, those that sort of general manager really doesn't exist anymore and 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 the dynamic has changed um yeah. quite considerably. And I, I think you know times times change, and that often for the positive, I would say,
1: yeah, um yeah uh, and you also mentioned about obviously making decisions um remotely and maybe not going to maybe speaking to the CEO or head office about making those tough decisions again, how important is that in moving a, a, an operation forward and being successful, making those quick decisions on the spot? Whether sometimes they work out right, sometimes they may work may may not work out. Like you said, um, if if you've if you've got a problem and a challenge, and you say this is what you're going to do, you act upon it there and then um, instead of just thinking about it and not and procrastinate and don't make that um, don't make that decision. Um, yeah, how how important is it in making those quick decisions? and just doing it off your own back rather than getting approvals from people higher up?
2: Well, I mean, I think it depends on what you're, what you're talking about. I mean, I'm sort of really referring to things like safety and security where decisions have to be done quickly. For example, you know, security, um, we had a situation on one of the mines I worked at where the local community who were quite a useful um, source of information as far as, unusual movements going on. They told us there were some people on motorbikes and they didn't know who they were, um, reports of weapons. Um, so, you know, you you make an immediate decision to bring anyone outside of the fence into the fence and, and and you, you put some, you put some actions in place and then you, you inform, um, you inform corporate or, or the head of security afterwards, um, and and tell them what you've done and then you you build on on that decision from there um obviously bigger bigger decisions like operational changes to um opening up the 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 pattern of the grey control drilling for example that that would obviously need a bit more of a um sort of technical approach and some test work and then you know you, you 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 sort of uh weigh up the risks and the benefits and then you, you make a decision as a team then
1: yeah yeah understand so yeah i suppose it depends on the uh, depends on the, the situation and, and problem or challenge you're facing um yeah understand that um i've obviously asked you about main attributes for a, uh, to be a successful general manager but what are the main um main uh, i mean i suppose what makes a successful mining operation um, and what's the main attributes uh, needed to become, I suppose, a, a a positive, productive operation?
2: Well, I think I mean, assuming that the the, the mine is built on a solid resource, let's let's assume that. Yeah. Um, I think you, you certainly need to have a, a, a good mine plan in place, and, and, and that's got to be that's got to be underpinned by a solid strategy as well. Um, and I think even more important, that strategy and that mine plan has to align with corporate, um, which is not often the case. Um, I think it's also important how the project is built and how it's handed over to the operational status. I think a lot of mines get that operational readiness or underestimate the importance of, of having a solid operational readiness plan. And I think that's that's something that Endeavour was superb at in terms of Building their, their projects and and then um, uh, you know ramping them up very very quickly and handing them over to to to, to the operational phase um, and that was obviously built on learning from their previous projects and they improved and, and improving 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 as they go from project to project so um, you know and I think something that's often overlooked is is hr getting the right hr people in place i've been very fortunate (laughs) particularly endeavor to work with two very very good hr managers there that are critical i mean french french west africa is quite a complicated labor law much more complicated than what we're used to with the british style system um and obviously having the right advice on site is, is absolutely critical particularly as i'm not very up to speed with the French sort of star labor, labor, code. So, but going with that, having good training programs in place and, and more importantly, succession planning, which I think is becoming quite apparent now in this coronavirus um, crisis. We find ourselves in that companies with good succession planning, um, systems in place where a lot of the HODs and key members of staff are actually, um, from the country where the mine is, uh, is paying dividends now. Um, And it it provides for a lot more stability in in times like this.
1: Yes, certainly. Um, I mean, obviously, succession planning is important for a company to grow. Um, I did actually write a post on that um, probably about a week or two ago. Um, So I may even write a a bit of a bigger blog around succession planning because I think that is important for any company. Who are who are looking to grow and expand? Um, so they keep obviously um, their systems and processes in place within the within the operation. If people do leave, come and go, um, it it just adds that continuity and bringing people and developing people, um, building their skills up, and and obviously keeping them keeping them for the long term or longer term. So I think succession planning obviously is is really important. Um, obviously you've been in a, quite a few Turner um, operations where you've turned them around um, how do sort of mining operations look at themselves um, if they're not, I suppose, not doing too well um, what are the sort of, main drivers to actually turn around an operation, what do you look at um,
2: it depends on the operation, I mean um, you know, some of them are resource, mo- uh, all body all body based. Um, so, I mean, the the first step is actually you understand what's, 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 what's been going on, what, what hasn't worked, why isn't it working? And you use that to build your plan to turn around. Um, uh, so, you know, if it's a grade issue, you, you work out what's going on uh, and, and and you come up with a plan to fix it. Um, I think, you know, it's it's a a point I was going to make with what makes a successful mining operation was even more important for a turnaround project is, is having the right team in place. Um, I've done two turnaround projects or or turned two mines around. And I was very fortunate to have a very good team in place. Um, And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm I'm very blessed with having that team is, is a team that seems to want to work with me all the time as well. So we've worked together a few times, um, a lot of those sort of key people. So, um, so getting the right team in place, um, getting the managing company to understand and, and to support the turnaround plan and strategy as well. So it's, it's not just about the mind, but it's also about the corporate body and how they support the turnaround. Um, and it's, it's quite important to try and plan it so you actually get some wins fairly quickly because a, a lot of it is about the confidence of the team. I'm not just talking about the HOD team, but the, the entire mine. Once they start to see things they're starting to win and, and kick some goals, um, the confidence builds and, and having that confidence is very, very important um, to, to maintain that turnaround. And, and as, I, as I said previously, it's it, part of the planning shouldn't be just the turnaround. It should be the, the, the phase of stability and what you do after that as well, because there's no point turning around only for it to fall on its face again. Um
1: yeah, yeah, certainly. Um, I was going to say, is there any sort of uh, in the, the turnaround operations that you've been involved in, has there been a common theme?
2: Um, no, both. I mean, there, there was, um, yeah, I think there was. I mean, it's, it's getting on top of your technical excellence, as I put it, getting back to basics in terms of the way you you, you mine your body uh, and the way you treat your body from um understanding the, the the gray control models to the way you unlock the ore body in terms of mining it and the way you treat it when you mine it. Um so minimizing dilution. Um and that's where you bring technology in like blast movement monitoring and um blasting optimization to to make sure that the um ore body moves as as, as little as possible. Uh, so when you do mine it you're not diluting or or throwing ore away too much.
1: Okay. Um What would you say the sort of the, the challenges and biggest impacts facing uh, mining operations moving forward? Um, obviously there's one big, there's one big <laughs> impact at this moment as we speak, which is obviously the coronavirus, but um, I suppose besides that, what else? Oh, uh, you can speak about that. Um, but what, other challenges and impacts do you see um, for mining operations moving forward?
2: I mean, you've, you've alluded to it already. I think top of my list at the moment is, is um, COVID-19. Yeah. Um, you know, mines, especially in Africa, were somewhat prepared in terms of their crisis management because of Ebola. Yeah. Um, but this is taking it to a completely new level because the world is shut down, essentially.
1: Yeah.
2: I'm, I'm – I'm, currently helping uh, a, a, a British-based company who's got a small operation in Mali, and luckily most of their team's on site at the moment, but they're stuck on site essentially, like they, like a lot of expats are around the world at the moment. So it's it's all about um, them pacing themselves and and, uh, and us, you know, the, the, the corporate body supporting the mine as much as possible uh, in terms of – I'm not just talking about their physical health, but I'm talking about their mental health as well, yeah. because – these guys could potentially be stuck on site for, for months, so um, you know. So that you know, people are looking at ways they can make their life a little bit bit more comfortable, whether it's um, improving the quality of the food or um, entertainment or some sporting activities or things like that, just to keep morale up a little bit.
1: Yeah, and I suppose you've got a feel for some of the uh, some of the expats that are coming to the end of their roster waiting to uh, get ready to fly out and then suddenly the airports are closed down for the next well god knows weeks months maybe so um yeah that's obviously uh, that's obviously a, a big impact on their lives um and the the last most luckier ones the ones that are waiting to go back to site um again because they they can't do anything until all the airports open so um but what other I suppose, big challenges do you see for mining operations moving forward? I suppose it is getting over this crisis once it is over or slowly coming to an end. Um, what other impacts would that have? And obviously, to have that knock-on effect as well.
2: Well, I mean, even if the, if, even if the restrictions are lifted and, and travel returns to normal after a while, you're going to have all the expats leaving sites at one mo- at one time. So you're having to plan, you're having to plan ahead a little bit to see what happens when things normalize as well. So, yeah. um, so it, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's putting a lot of mines crisis management planning to the, to the test. Um, because it's, there's so many moving parts. Yeah. Um, I mean, most mines can keep going as long as the supply chain is unaffected.
1: Yeah. Um, so once, once things do get back to normality, um, is there any, any challenges that you see facing – and I suppose this is more of a generic question. Um, so that could be other, influ- other outside influences that could potentially um, affect mining operations moving forward.
2: I, th- I think there's obviously going to be quite a lot of catching up. Um, it's going to take time for – um travel airlines to get back on to get back fully operational and obviously they'll they'll um um focus on the on their most lucrative routes first as well so you're more um sort of flights to sort of Mali and, and Burkina may be a little bit more slower in coming around but um not, there may be longer term issues with supply chambers there may be a little bit of um Hoarding going on at the moment um, in terms of reagents and and, and consumables, Um, so there might be a bit of a lag effect there as well. But I I think I think the main thing is companies will be happy that the restrictions are lifted, and and, and dealing with the recovery will be um, will be actually almost a fresh of breath air, a breath of fresh, I should
1: say. Yeah, certainly. Um, And I suppose what about also um, obviously fluctuating commodity prices because. I suppose you don't know how how it's going to plan out towards the end, um, and also, um, I suppose the, the cost management of things. So obviously, all kinds of budgets probably be out the window. Um, that I suppose that could be another consideration.
2: Yeah, it could be. I mean, you know, fluctuating commodity prices is an interesting one, and I think if you ask any general manager or anyone in in mining. The senior management level, what do they prefer? High, you know, a high or a low, or yeah, you know, I, I don't mind, uh, uh, you know, thirteen hundred gold price as long as it stays
1: there. Yeah, <laughs>
2: um, a high gold price actually brings a whole bunch of different problems to you in the normal situation, um, from from an increase in illegal mining activity in your operational areas to pressure from governments to to get a, an increased slice of the pie. You know. Um, so it's a completely different set of issues that you have to deal with. It's, it's certainly not a, a panacea for miners, necessarily a panacea. Obviously, it brings a better revenue and a better margin, but um, comes with some other problems.
1: Yeah, I can see, yeah, I can see that. Um, how important is the relationship between senior management um, of a mine site or senior management within a corporate function and the senior um, management on a mine site and the general manager that relationship um i mean what are the key ingredients to a successful partnership if you're working obviously on a remote remote mining project and the corporate office is in a um in a, a, a major city um because obviously there 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 could be issues and but what would you say that the sort of key, key ingredients are to to make it successful
2: Put it this way: the most successful relationships i've seen are, are between um, teams that respect each other, um, understand each other, uh, lack, lack of politics in, in, in the equation uh, and sort of basically a common a common desire to, to to get what everybody wants, which is a successful mining operation and then um, you know and a and return to the the stakeholders as it were, whether it's the government or investors or, um, you know, or the community, for example. So, um, I think it's just got to be an open and transparent relationship.
1: And how easy is that to make that, to make that happen? Um, I suppose if you're going for, for a job as a general manager, um, which obviously you've done in the past, um, is that something before you accept that job is that what you is that what you're one of the things that you look at
2: yeah i do I, I tend to do a bit of due diligence i mean mining is a small world as you know, so yeah. you often know someone uh, who who either is is in the government of the country where it's working so i've I've checked with people I know who are who are high ranking um, members of other minings executive teams who are who are obviously connected within the country yeah. about how the, the how the firm is viewed within the in the country and it usually if there's no comment that's usually a good sign yeah. um, uh also I, I speak to people who've worked as maybe on the contracting teams or stuff like that or people who are actually working at the mine themselves to see what the atmosphere is like and how the relationship is with corporates and and uh, and, and things like that. So there, there, I mean, it's, it's useful to do some due diligence. Um, uh, but it, it does make for a more fruitful working relationship if, if there's a good relationship with corporate and good relationship with the stakeholders around you.
1: Yeah. Would you say sometimes an operation isn't successful? One of the main reasons could be that relationship between corporate and, uh, and site.
2: Yeah, you're going to get me into trouble now. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: yeah, I suppose I'm speaking just very generalistic. Um, yeah. I mean, can, can a mine, mine operation still be successful if, if corporate and site don't always see eye to eye um, and there could be a little bit of friction? Can you still make a successful operation?
2: Yeah, I think you can, especially if it's a good ore body. Um, yeah. That may cover up some of those tensions. Um, but yeah, I think there have been situations where um, mining operations haven't been as successful because of the, the poor relationship with corporate or, or a lack of alignment between corporate and site. Let me put it that way
1: yeah yeah <laughs> um one I want to slowly wrap this up now. Um, really appreciate your time um one I suppose one of the last questions I want to ask you anyone that's aspiring to be a general manager um what advice would you give them? Um, whether, they're, whether they're, I suppose, maybe whether they're a bit younger in their career or they're not far off making that step into a general manager's role, uh, what sort of general advice would you give those types of people?
2: I think give it, just give it a go, uh, especially, I mean, you know, when, when I had the opportunity to join Troy, I, I saw the opportunity because um, it was a small mine with a, with a very good management team above us. Um, who 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 were aligned with the operation, and I think that's a good example of it working. Um, so and 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 don't just just throw yourself into it. I would say um, it's, it's the best way to learn. You can do all the management courses and MBAs you want. The only way to actually do it is, is actually be involved and 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 be a general manager day in day out. Yeah, and and let me be honest with you. The word "general" is is. There's no exaggeration there. It does get pretty general. Right. <laughs> you get involved in every every single thing, and you know, the mining, as you know, and 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 the, and the listener people that would be listening to this will probably nod their head. There's there's no in between. There's either down or up. Yeah. Um, you go from problem to problem to problem and you, you just have it's, – it's firefighting all the time. And when it's good, it's good. But when, when you're down in the bottom, it's, it can be pretty tough looking up.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I can imagine. And I suppose if someone was given that chance, the people giving you that chance must know that you've got the capabilities um, and attributes to be a general manager. So I suppose you just take it full on. Um and I suppose ask around ask around for advice as well. Um if you do get big problems that you can't solve, it's good to uh good to ask other other people that have been in those positions before, other general managers or even maybe COOs that have been general managers previously on site, um, getting their um getting their um feedback as to what you should do and how you should handle situations. So I suppose, yeah, reaching out to those types of people. Um to help you in your journey and make you become a successful general manager.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, one very, one last question. Um, sure. If there was um, one person you would like to uh, um, listen to on this podcast um, and you, you feel that I should interview that person, can you, who, who would that sort of person be?
2: Um, I think probably, Someone like uh, Lowe Smith, maybe, Okay. Uh, CEO of Norcold, uh, or um, I, I mean, I, I, the, the, the general manager I was talking about earlier, um, who, who, who I always looked up to very highly, was a, a gentleman called Johan Borte. Um, he's a very, very well-respected general manager, and he went on to be EVP for Goldfields fields in West Africa, and so a lot of various positions, I think he's, he'll be good value as well.
1: Okay. Yeah, certainly I'll, I'll um, reach out to them and um, see, yeah, see if they would be interested in uh, coming on the podcast. Um, really appreciate your time, Marcus, um, and obviously providing some uh, content around um, the duties of a general manager, I suppose the challenges, um, the ups and downs. Um, and what makes a successful general manager, and what makes a successful uh, operation? So, hopefully, people uh, listening to this, people that are working out on site, um, no matter what discipline they are, and have a and have, I suppose, a, a career objective to become a general manager. Hopefully, you've given them some um, some useful tips um, in their journey to uh, to uh, aspire to that that level. Um, if our audience wants to reach out to you um, and contact you, they've got any questions. How can they go about doing that?
2: Uh, I'm 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 available on LinkedIn and I'm quite open to accepting invitations. So that's that's probably the best way, I'd say.
1: Yeah, no worries. Um, and are you on any other social media platforms apart from LinkedIn?
2: Uh, not really. No,
1: no. Just yes. <laughs> okay, no worries. Um, Alternatively, if you've got any questions uh, for Marcus, happy for you to uh, email me and I can pass those messages on to Marcus. And my email address is rob at mining-international.org. Really appreciate your time, Marcus, um, in doing this podcast. Um, Appreciate the audience for listening. Hope you can uh, share this podcast to people that you know. If you feel that anyone is about to maybe um, go into a general manager's role or Aspires to be a general manager. Appreciate if you can uh, allude them to this podcast, um, and certainly Marcus can uh, would have provided some uh, tips, tips and hints for them to uh, to make that transition into a general manager. Um, also, you can look or go to the, the website. Um, which is digdeeptheminingpodcast.com. Um, if you've got any questions you want to ask me, if you want to make any recommendations of guests that I uh, could get on the show, um, any improvements you want me to make on the podcast, happy to, uh, happy to listen to any, uh, any uh, questions that you may have or suggestions. So, um, yeah, please visit that website and, uh, yeah, uh, ask me anything you, uh, you like. So until next time, happy mining. Thanks for listening to Dig Deep, the mining podcast.
0: If there are any topics you want discussed or questions you want to ask any guests, then you can email us at rob at mining-international.org. Or you can follow Rob and Mining International on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter and YouTube for more content and to have your questions answered. Until next time, happy mining.